Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. All right, gang, we're doing Isaiah 65 today, and um, 65 is long, and it starts off really kind of rough. Uh, so I, I want to give some preface to the 65. Really coincides again, everything that we're doing in Isaiah is coinciding what's happening in the earth today. And I want to start off with this attitude and this thought process, and that is what it means to be of a contrite spirit. And it's going to be mentioned in Isaiah 66, verse 2. Um, but I, I think it's needed as we're about to view Isaiah 65. Uh, so we're going to address the contrite spirit, and then we'll, and this will, and this will be a framework for going into 65. So when we look at Isaiah 66 verse two, for all those things has my hand made, and all those things have been says Yahuwah, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. We're not going to look at the whole framework of that verse, because we'll get to that eventually in Isaiah 66, but the contrite spirit piece. The word contrite in the Hebrew there is Strong's 5223, and it's nakha, nakha is how it's pronounced, I think. Um, it means smitten. Literally, smitten is an easy kind of a, a light word to describe this. Literally, it means maimed. So in the physical, it's, it's a maiming. Figuratively, it means dejected. That word that Isaiah is using in 66 for contrite, is only used two other times, and it's always used with Saul's son, who was maimed or born uh, with bad feet, and his name was uh, Mephibosheth, uh, and that's in Second Samuel. So the word that Isaiah is using for contrite here in Isaiah 66.2 is only used for Saul's lame son. So it literally means maimed or lame, broken. So that's that word contrite, used only three times in Scripture. Now let's go to uh, Psalm 34, because that's another one. That contrite is used. Psalm 34 Verse 18, Yahweh is near unto them that are of a broken heart and saves such as be of a contrite spirit. So that word contrite is different. And that is strong 1793, da ka. It means crushed 
literally into powder. So again, this word contrite is, don't just take it kind of lightly of, oh, it's someone that's nice and humble and meek. No, this is a crushing. The other word that we looked at was a maiming. It's a very intense word that's used. Isaiah 57 is another use of that word from Psalm 34. So Isaiah 57. And verse 15. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite or a da-ka and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So there's that word contrite again. Now let's go to one more location of the word contrite, and I think we're going to get an unlocking. Because that word contrite that we read in Psalm 34 in Isaiah 57 is also used only three times in Scripture, and the third one is in Psalm 90. And I think Psalm 90 is going to bring it all together about this word contrite. Psalm 90, verse 3. You turn man to, and I'm reading from the King James, you turn man to destruction and say, return, you children of men. And that's the answer. That's what brings it all together. Makes perfect sense, right? kidding (laughs) yeah i really did read the right verse in psalm 90 verse 3 in king james it translates destruction from the same word daka which is used contrite in psalm 34 and in and in isaiah 57 but it's used destruction here but there's actually a key in 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 psalm 90 verse 3 because of the other words that are used around it. So I was joking, yes, it doesn't make sense on the surface, but in the Hebrew, there is an understanding and a key and an unlocking here. So destruction is also dakha, which was translated contrite before. It's only the third time that that's used in all scripture. So we have two words that are translated from Hebrew to contrite. Both of them are only used three times each. So in Psalm 90, verse 3, The word turn, you turn, is the word shob. And the word return is also shob. So you have turn, shob, man, and this word contrite. And you say shob, which is also the same word as turn, you children of men. So if we keep digging into this a little bit more, this can also, this word shob is not just turn, 
but it can also be translated rescue, revive, refresh, recover. Note that there is a re, like it's not the first time, it's a repeat, to turn again, to revive again, to recover again. So it's rescue, revive, refresh, recover man from being not just destroyed or from destruction, but from being crushed. And then say to him, return, return where? Return to a place you've already been to or were from, you children of man. So as we start to pull out the Hebrew on this, what the psalmist is saying is you restore, revive to the original state mankind, which has been crushed into contriteness, and you tell him, return back home. Almost like the prodigal son. Let me say it a different way. A contrite spirit are those who have a deep cry connecting to their origins to go home. They know something is missing. Something is wrong in the earth. They have been abused. They have been destroyed. They have been crushed in the earth world. And something is connecting them back to their origins of where they came, their essence being from God, them staying with God, and then being sent to a place where they got crushed. That's the essence of a contrite spirit. We can think about the prodigal son in the natural that way, but also in the spirit, we have been sent into the world. The world has treated us badly. We forgot who we were. We forgot where we came from. And then something inside of us, being that of the Holy Spirit and of faith, has started to open our eyes, not only to what we see in the earth and in the heavens, so we see this contrast, but we also start to get an understanding of where we came from and who we came from. And that's of the contrite spirit, connecting to our origins. Think Abraham, something inside of him was searching for this city made without hands. David, being the king, was willing to give up his kingship because he knew there was a greater king that he came from. A contrite spirit. He was crushed in that his essence, his spirit was so much bigger than what the world had to offer. And it was crushed by the world. They want, we want to return back to Abba, return back to Zion where we belong. It, it implies like an awareness of the holy and the unholy. 
and the separation that we want to be from the world, that we want to repent from the world and its worldly systems and thought processes. This is what contrite means. And it's unlocked there in Psalm 90 with the, that word shob, uh, return, 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 return back. Let's return back to our essence. Return back to where we originally belong. A while ago, maybe about two years ago, I had uh, in prayer this process of going back through the womb and understanding those thoughts and understanding what was going on. And it started to unlock the veil between my earthly birth and what happened before. And the veil started to be pulled back. And now the veil is back. That's the word contrite is to return back to that place where I always was with God, even before I was sent here. So it's that yearning, it's the activation within you. Keep that in mind because we're going to need that mindset as we go through Isaiah 65. Last time when we were studying Isaiah 64, we discussed the upcoming decisions that are going to lead to the last days. And it's a series of decisions of firstborn. And the last days frequently are viewed upon as terrible. In fact, I was talking to someone who came over to our house uh, two weeks ago, and we got into a little bit of the last days stuff. And he said, I don't want, this is a terrible subject. It just makes me depressed. And that's where a lot of mindsets are within the body of Christ is they are concerned. They are afraid almost. And that's not how we're going to be. That's not how we're supposed to be. But there's a series of decisions that lead into the last day and Zion being made manifest. Because remember, everything is here in the context of Zion and Isaiah. So the series of decisions that we discussed is first decision. Do you want to be free or do you want to remain in bondage? Next decision. Do you want to be Israel of a circumcised heart or do you want to remain in the camp of the kingdom of the world in an uncircumcised heart? Another decision place. Do you want to be of the birthright blessing and inherit the earth or not? Even if you're Israel, you don't necessarily have to have all of the inheritance to walk in sonship. Another decision point is, do you want to draw near as a priest or do you want to be more of a kingdom observer within the kingdom? So it's a series of decisions that Isaiah 64 was taking us through. And he finished up by, by going through the decision of being free or in bondage. But now in Isaiah 65, we're going to get into the rawness of what it means to be of a circumcised heart or not. And that is going to be tough. Think about the Exodus. In the first Exodus, the people were all set free. All of them were set free from bondage. So they're all into freedom now. And then they're brought to Mount Sinai. As an entire body in the kingdom of heaven, because they were supposed to be all of a circumcised heart, all were Israel. And all were priests. So they went from bondage to freedom, Israel, priesthood, 
And then the very next thing that was going to happen after that, inheritance. Boom, 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 really fast. And we know what happened. It all fell apart. They didn't like the freedom. They wanted to go back into bondage. They chose not to be of the circumcised heart. They immediately went into idolatry. They chose not to be priests. They said, Moses, you be a priest for us. They chose not to go into the inheritance. So they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So what God's going to be doing now, and he's doing this in us, and he's doing it in these last days, is he's taking us through this journey on a much longer path and exposing everything in us so that we choose correctly when we get to that decision point, the valley of, the, of, of decision. That's why this, uh, this chapter in Isaiah 65 is just raw. It's just ripping apart and exposing our hearts. Do you really want to live amongst the circumcised in the kingdom of heaven? Are you really ready for it? And I'm not saying this to you guys because you guys are all here. We're here because we're there. We're living in it. But for us, we're going to be witnessing the process of people going through this decision. We're still right now in these last days going through the decision of do people want to be free or not? We're not even to the place of what Isaiah 65 is about to get, get us to. Do you want to serve God or do you want to serve the God of this world? And that's going to be tough to watch. As tough as it is to watch people go through the decision and the unveiling of do you want to be free or not? It's going to get tougher and tougher with each of these decisions. So now we're about to face, after that decision, do you want to serve God or do you not? So that's where we are today. Let's dive in. <clears throat> Isaiah 65. This is, and also I'll say this, this is not about God beating us up. This is about him revealing the depths of our hearts. Because it's going to feel like he's beating us up, but it's really revealing the depths of our hearts. And remember Isaiah 64, um, in Isaiah 64, verse 7 said, and none are righteous. We're all like filthy rags. We're all like dust in the wind. None of us are righteous. So that's the place that Isaiah 65 is getting to. Verse 1. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought not for me. Oh, and I also finished Isaiah 64 saying, after Isaiah's cries, in the people's cries, then God responds. And here's his response. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walks in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provokes me to anger continually to my face. 
that sacrifices in gardens and burns incense upon altars of brick, which remain among the graves and lodge in the mountains, which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things are in their vessels, which say, stand by yourself, come not near to me. This is people saying to God this, which say, stand by yourself, come not near to me, for I am holier than you. People are saying to God, I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nose, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom, into their hearts. I'll read one more verse, verse 7. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says Yahuwah, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me, me upon the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work unto their bosom or their heart. It's rough. Wait a minute. We've just been talking about Zion. We just talked about how the Savior comes and takes away everything. We talked about all the glory. Well, why is Isaiah getting at this again? It's because he lays out the picture. He takes us through a journey on one level on how we get there. He lays out the picture again, and now he's taking us through the journey and the details of what's happening in the last days. This is for the last days. He set up this is the glory that's going to happen in Isaiah 60 and 61 and 62. 63, he talked about coming from Edom. 64, he started this decision process of the last days, and here we are again in the decision process. So in verse 1, what immediately comes to mind, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. It reminds me of Matthew 7. Ask, seek, knock. This is a people group that are doing this. But it's not the people group who we think it is, or who Israel thought it was, or who Isaiah thought it was. So they're crying from, somebody's crying from a place, crying out Abba. But it's not what Isaiah expected. It's not what the people reading the scriptures expected. And it's something you've heard us discuss in these studies before. It's not going to look what we, like what we expect. We need to expect the unexpected as God's doing a miracle and a marvelous work into the earth. So what Isaiah is really getting at is it's still actually Israel crying out from a place where their name has been lost. They have been lost. They don't know who they are. Hosea repeatedly says this in the scriptures about how they've been sifted like corn, scattered throughout all nations throughout the earth, and they don't know who they are anymore. Partially why I started off with the whole thing about the contrite spirit in, a, in a Psalm 90 is because the contrite spirit, before you get unlocked, you don't know who you are. You don't know where you came from. And then that unlocking process is this desire to keep going back and return to something, some city made without hands, 
something about the father. I need to go explore and you explore and you explore and you finally understand, wow, that's where I came from. And it's the same thing with these people. Israel had everything coming out of Egypt. And they chose not to. So they get scattered throughout the nations. They lose everything. They lose the name that was bestowed upon them. They, they didn't understand where they came from. They lost the worship of God. They were a disaster. They were all over the place. And here's the place now where they start to, out of a contrite spirit, start to cry out for God. So that's this people group. They became justified and they were not named Israel. And over the centuries, very few Christians, I'll use the word Christians for us, understand our connection to Israel because we lost it. We lost the origin. So just like a contrite spirit's origin cries out to go back to the essence of God, and we cry out, Abba, Father, we need to go back to the essence of the covenants of promise that belong to us, that we are, that we came from. At the very end of, of last week, our last study, Karen was asking me a series of questions in, afterwards and said, okay, so Todd, so if that's the case, then we came from where? And then this happened and this happened. It's the same thing of the covenants of promise. So in with Abraham, were we in the loins of Abraham? Yes. So when Abraham was looking at the stars, we were within Abraham looking at ourselves as the stars. Our origin goes back to the covenants of promise given to us. But we lost it. We lost the blessing that Jacob said, my name is upon you, Prince of Elohim, Israel. We lost it. So the first nation that claims the title Israel after all of these centuries are the squatters, the imposters. So Isaiah is saying, this is the people group that don't know who they are, but they're the ones that are crying out for me. They're the contrite ones. The lost ones, the crushed ones, the broken ones, that essence comes from God. And even the word in, in verse 1 that says, behold, behold me, behold me unto a nation. That word is goy, goyim. We're the goyim. And goyim is also referencing Israel. And of course, what the Zionists do is they flip it around and say that they are Israel and that Goyim is bad. That just means not them. And that's not true at all. We've done a whole study on Goyim. And it is the nations of Abraham. So that's the people group crying out in verse one. Verse two, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people which walks in 
walks in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. So now this people group that is scattered, that is crying out to him, but they, he's now backing up and saying, here's why they were scattered. Scattered to every tribe in every nation across the earth. This group of people that denied me at Mount Sinai, that worshiped the golden calf, that went into the land, even after all of that, I still gave them the land after wandering for 40 years. They brought in Canaanite, Babylonian, Mesopotamian, Egyptian idols everywhere. And then when they got scattered, they took all of those idols with them everywhere they went. That's why we see if you do your history on all the, the, the false religions and the false gods, there's there's always these ties and the names are this the names are different but the, the concepts are the same it's because it's all the same idols all over the place and the reason that they're all over the place and that they're the same you know who scattered them israel israel were the ones that were scattered and bringing the idols everywhere these are god's people god's people did this they're the ones that scattered all this mess I want to look at the word thought. So they were walking in a way that was not good after their own thought. So first you have a thought, then you walk in the way of the thought. See, we think we do things bad, and that's the origin of our transgression. But the origin of our transgression is our thought. We receive some seed of the enemy or seed of the flesh or seed of the world. We meditate on it. It becomes a thought and then it becomes an action. And that's what verse two is saying. So that word thought there is Strong's 4284. It's a longer word. Ma-esh-a-ba. <laughs> the best I can do. It means Con in a concrete way, literal way. It means a texture or a machine. It really does say that in the Strongs. A machine. Thought means machine. Or abstractly, it means a plan or an intention. So you have a plan and intention in your head, and that thought is becoming a noun, so it's becoming a noun, so it's a machine. Just like the Hebrew word for word, the bar, is not only a verb, an action, but it's also a noun. It becomes something instantly into the realm. Same thing with thought. Thought then becomes a machine. First mention of this word, Genesis chapter 6. You can see the origin of a thought of mankind. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, that's where we get the term machine, 
of the thoughts, there's that word thoughts, of his heart was only evil continually or nonstop. So when Satan's seed is spread throughout mankind, the thoughts become actions, machines, imaginations all the time. That's the first word, the first mention of this word. This word is also mainly used in Jeremiah, followed by Isaiah. It's typically describing Israel's rebellious heart. So this is what's happening in terms of thoughts. Through our thoughts, we are constructing either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of heaven onto the earth. It's not that we're carrying around idols. It's that we are thinking about the idols and then the idols are being made manifest. Isaiah is about to reveal the thoughts and intentions of the heart, just like the sharp two-edged sword of the word of God. So these thoughts become machines and they are ushering in either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of God. The convergence of heaven and earth is the human heart. As I was in prayer a couple days ago, God showed this to me. He said, the condition of the earth is a reflection of the condition of the heart of my people. Because it starts in the thoughts, starts in the heart, goes to the thoughts, thoughts become something, then it becomes action, and it actually manifests into the earth. Second Corinthians chapter 10. This is where Paul's getting this from, this whole idea about thoughts. Second Corinthians chapter 10. You guys all know this, but now this is in a little bit different context. This is the context of the last days. This is in context of the preparation of the earth to receive Zion. Well, if our thoughts are corrupting the earth, the earth cannot receive Zion because we saw that the unlocking of prayer for Zion to be received into the earth was receive the right, the dew of righteousness from heaven and that the earth spring forth salvation and righteousness. That starts from our hearts. It then goes to our thoughts and our prayers in faith. So if that's not happening, if that's not being activated, then there is a blockage of Zion to come onto the earth. So Paul is getting at this in terms of thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For we walk in the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. He's talking about our thoughts. That's actually the origin of our battle. We don't battle in politics. We don't battle in laws we battle in our origin which is our thoughts and our hearts in faith 
and that changes everything. So he says then, for their weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through Yahuwah to pull down the strongholds. The strongholds of the enemy are the same things, just the opposite. Those are the thoughts of wicked people. The machines. They're building machines in the spirit realm that then manifest into the earth through their thoughts. Casting down imaginations, machines. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Remember, we read one of those verses we're going to get to in Isaiah 65, that somebody is going to say, these wicked people are going to say, God, I'm holier than you. Stand down. That's what Paul is saying. And brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Messiah. Paul, I think, is almost quoting exactly Isaiah 65 and what he's getting at with the whole word and concept of thought. That's why we need to have a readiness in, to, to revenge all disobedience of thought when your obedience is fulfilled. That's why it's so important, so, so important to train your mind. And that's why I love the, the whole letters of Brother Lawrence and the practice of the presence of God. If there is a thought that comes in that's not of God, you remove it and replace it with God. And in these last days, um, I was talking to Dan about this yesterday. I am more and more getting my mind focused on purity and the things that are lovely and the things that are good. I'm removing everything that's unbelief. I don't want to hear unbelief around me. I don't want to hear whining. On, I don't want to hear murmuring. I don't want to hear dissimilitude. I don't want to hear any of that stuff because I have to be focused because my thoughts are going to produce Zion onto the earth. We are going to be walking in greater and greater, greater works because we're going to be walking in greater and greater holiness through our thoughts. Back to Isaiah 65. Verse 3. A people that provokes me to anger continually to my face. We've talked so much about his face. And we got people that are going to try to get in the face of God. This is not... This is, we're not talking about people of the world. We're talking about Israel. We're talking about God's people. The people that are delivered from bondage into freedom. This is the context of the last days. He's going to free and allow freedom for the entire world, and then people get to choose. We're now talking about the next choice. Are you going to acknowledge your freedom came from him and bow down? Or are you going to get in his face and receive your freedom in a prideful fashion? We're about to see this. As difficult as it is to watch people go through this choice of freedom and bondage, it's going to be more difficult to watch this. People around us saying, no, that wasn't God. Don't need him. But did you see the miracle that just took place in the earth? Yeah, 
Yeah. That was because of this politician. That was because of this thing in the world. That was because of my own works. I'm the one that did this. I'm the one that created this wealth. It's going to be tough to watch. We're going to have family members and friends around us making these decisions, having this within their heart. So a people that provokes me to anger. The first mention of this is of provoking to anger, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Told you this is not going to be a fun one today. But there's going to be a reason for it. And I think we're going to finish up with the reason of why Isaiah is taking us through this again. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 25. I'll back up in verse 24. Since Patricia prayed this a little bit, I'll back up to 24. So Deuteronomy 4, 24. For Yahuwah your Elohim is a consuming fire, even a ka'ana el, jealous, zealous. When you shall beget, beget children and children's children, and you shall have remained long in the land. Means there's prosperity going on. You're multiplying. Time has passed. In the land that I gave you as inheritance. And shall corrupt yourselves. And make a graven image. Or the likeness of anything. And shall... See, there's a process. He's not saying, oh, this just happened once. It's and 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 and. You still choose not to repent. And shall do evil in the sight of Yahuwah your Elohim to provoke him to anger. He is a God of patience. So it's and 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 on rebellion. And then look what happens in the next verse. So Moses says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. And you shall utterly perish from off the land where you go over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. So not only when you provoke God to anger, but now heaven and earth are out of alignment. Not only are they out of alignment, they're actually witnesses against us. So when we cry out to receive the blessings from the earth, the earth says, nope, I saw what you did. You and the generations before you, you provoked the creator. And I was told that I cannot release my blessings to you because of what you did. Same things in the heavens. And that's why in, in scriptures it says that the heaven is like brass and the earth like concrete. Because they're witnesses against us. For a people group that has provoked him to anger. 
This is a people group that will be free from bondage. That's what's happening in the last days. So our heart condition is a reflection is reflected in the heavens and the earth. Sacrificing gardens, and I don't want to get into this a, a whole lot in verses three and four and all the things that they do wrong, but sacrificing the gardens because the gardens, of course, were places of of false deity worship. But I'll say this also, what what's so in your face about what the enemy has done with the gardens is gardens are supposed to be a place of encounter of our hearts with God. So he takes it into the earth and he corrupts it. Gardens were made to be a place of encounter, naturally and spiritually. And the natural were supposed to enjoy the fragrance and the colors and the textures and and everything, the smells, and and enjoy the goodness of of God's creation and the wonders of the reflection of all the colors and things that he has in the heavens. In the spirit, that is the place of encounter of our hearts. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. So he corrupts that. Instead, places idols, not only in the natural gardens where they were worshiping idols, but he also places idols in our gardens, in our hearts. See, they weren't just putting idols in the gardens, in the natural. That came from the imaginations, the machining of the thoughts of their heart. They had already placed idols in their heart. So now it just manifested onto the earth with idols in these gardens. They also made altars of brick. That's why God said, make altars before me for natural stones, not made without made without hands. So the first mention of brick is, we won't jump there, but it goes back to Genesis 11. And they used brick to build the Tower of Babel. And it's used repeatedly in Exodus chapter 5 about the building of brick. And Pharaoh was forcing them to build brick. He was forcing them to basically build altars. That's what was happening. So if he couldn't get their hearts in alignment with Pharaoh being God, he was going to force them naturally. And then hopefully after repetition, 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 what was happening in the natural about forcing them to make bricks and altars of brick that would eventually then go into their hearts. Thinking about the first Exodus, because I really believe this is a theme of us approaching the second Exodus in the last days. Thinking about the first Exodus, when they cut out, they come out of Egypt, and they're on this 50-day journey and encounter to Mount Sinai. What we're reading here really was in their heart. It just wasn't exposed. It took encounters with God. It took 
the testing to expose the things that were in their hearts. It hadn't been revealed yet. So this time around, in these last days, God's going to take us through. He's going to take the world through this process of exposing our hearts so that we really choose him. We know we are not lukewarm. We are either hot or cold. The valley of decision. Israel didn't go through that the first time. They will be going through it this time. All the way. Uh, Revelation 15. Kind of like how Isaiah goes, here's where we're going, glory. All right, back up. Here's where you're at. <laughs> here's where we're going, glory. Here's where you're at. So we just spent a couple of verses kind of, not, again, not beating ourselves up, just exposing maybe some things in our hearts. But this is where God's taking us. Revelation 15. So I was meditating on this the other day. And I want you to catch the language on just a couple of verses. Revelation 15, verse 1. Remember, this is all preparation for the last days, manifesting Zion unto the earth. Revelation chapter uh, 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in the heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. This is another part of my conversation with this guy. The wrath of God is in the seven vials. It is not in the seals. It is not in the trumpets. The wrath is clearly, specifically in the vials, which happens all at the very end. That's why we do not, we do not participate in the wrath of God. For the wrath of God on our behalf was given on the cross to Yeshua. He took on the wrath of God for us. For those that are in Yeshua, we already received the wrath in his body. So now the wrath is going to be poured out on those that are not in his body, those that Isaiah was saying and describing in Isaiah 65. Verse 2, Revelation 15, 2. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. Listen to the next phrase. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having harps. See, when we think about Revelation, the way we've been taught is that believers get this word contrite, crushed. No, these are people that have the victory. That's where we're going, to the victory place. Revelation is an exposure of the rest of Israel that is not in the place where we are to bring as many lost souls in as possible. And they have to go through the decisions that you and I have already gone through. I've already chosen that I want freedom from this world. I've already chosen that I want a circumcised heart. I've already chosen that I want to be a son of inheritance. And I've already chosen that I want to be a priest. 
but the rest of the those Israelites that are scattered into the world that don't know who they are, they have to go through that process now. But for me, I'm going to be walking in the victory because it says it right here. And part of our song is going to be singing the song of Moses, the servant of Yahuwah, and the song of the Lamb saying, great and marvelous are your works. Yahuwah El Shaddai, the glorious bosom. Just and true are your ways, you king of saints. Who shall not fear you? O Yahuwah, and glorify your name. This is opposite of what we read in Isaiah 65. For all nations, goyims, all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments are made manifest. And after that, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony of heaven was opened. So Zion is coming on down. So keep that in mind as we're wrestling through these verses in 65. This is for those that are lost going through their decision process. And we, part of our problem, that's <laughs> going to be our difficulty, is to watch this. And to be in a place of patience and in prayer for everybody going through these things. Verse 4. Isaiah 65, verse 4. Which remain among the graves and lodge in the mountains, which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things in their vessels. Yeah. Verse 5. No, you want to get into that stuff. Verse 5. <clears throat> which say, stand by yourself, come not near to me. For I am holier than you. I can't believe people are actually saying this, but this is what Satan said himself. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burns all the day. That word stand is a strong 7126, call Rob, means to... Uh, draw near, or at hand, to join, to bring near. And the word near is Strong's 5066, Nagash, which means also to come near, but it also really means to worship. Or turn your back. So the opposite would be turning your back. So it's either worshiping or turning your back. So what they are really saying is, Isolate yourself, God, and I'm turning, your, turning my back to you. I'm doing the opposite of worshiping. Again, people that are going to be free from bondage and saying this. And isn't that what Israel did? He was more than just, Moses here, you listen to God and you tell us what to do. It's that, eh, we're going to turn our back to you, oh God. You stand by yourself. That's why God's heart's cry in Deuteronomy 5 is, oh, that there would be such a people that would draw near and that would fear me. 
But for you, Moses, you come near, you tell the people to go away. Because that's what was in their hearts and then became their thoughts, their imaginations, their machines. And what they were doing is they were saying this. Stand by yourself, God. We are turning our backs on you. That's what they're going to say. And that's what people say now. It just hasn't been fully exposed of what they're, what's really in their hearts. You, we can understand now why, why, why Paul is kind of saying what Isaiah was saying is, there's none that's righteous. No, not one. And yet through all of this, God still says yes to us. Because we're in Messiah. Because Messiah always says yes. And Messiah is always righteous. I think it's a miracle that this is actually what's in our hearts and we still can draw near. This was in the hearts of our fathers and 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 our fathers fathers all the way back. And he still allows us to draw near. All these generations before us turn their back on him, turn their back on him, turn their back on him. And we cry out and say, yes, with a contrite heart, understanding that we want to go back to our place of origin, that we were with him, standing before him in all of his glory before we took this assignment. And he says, yes. Even though all this stuff is still in our heart, he still says, yes. John here. So these people are going to see miracles just like Israel saw miracles in Egypt and still say this. That's going to be tough for us to watch. I'm struggling right now watching people going through a decision of do you want to be free or not? Wait until we get to the next place. Really? You don't want to serve God after all that you've seen? It's not now just my testimony. You've just lived through it. You just lived through the deliverance of Egypt. And you're still going to say no? That's what we're going to have to watch. We're about to see the second, second exodus before our eyes. Verse 5. Isaiah 65, verse 5. Still there. <clears throat> primary focus of revelation is to rebellious Israel that's scattered. Secondarily, it's to Babylon. We think primarily it's to Babylon. No. Primarily, it's to rebellious Israel. Judgment starts where? The house of God. So this word recompense in verse 6. Oh, I jumped to verse 6. Verse verse 6. This word recompense. That word is strong 7999. Shah, Shah, Lamb. It means to complete, reciprocate, render, 
make restitution reward. First mention of recompense. This will also provide another witness to why I say revelation and the last day's judgment starts with the house of God, starts with rebellious Israel. Here we go. First mention of the word recompense, Genesis 44. Like I said, this is a fun message today, today, today. But we have to go through this. Genesis 44. In verse 4. Joseph is in Egypt. His brothers come to him. Genesis 44, verse 4. And when they were gone out of the city, so they now departed Joseph after seeing him. They don't know who Joseph is yet. And yet not far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, his brothers. And when you do overtake them, say to them, Wherefore have you recompensed or rewarded me evil for good? So the first mention of this word recompense that Isaiah is using in the context of the last days to a rebellious people, rebellious Israel. Because remember, we still have the remnant. We always have the remnant. God always has a remnant. We are the remnant. What he is saying in the word recompense, taking us back to the first mention, is it's rebellious Israel, the brothers that are going to attack Joseph, and Joseph actually will be able to watch and participate in the recompense, the reward to the rebellious brothers, the house of Israel. That's what we're going to be witnessing. We're Joseph. We're the, we're the one with the multicolored coat, the priestly garment for all nations. We're the one that has the birthright blessing. And we know who we are. Joseph, at this point in time, he's already gone through the trials and tribulations and has now been elevated. His brothers had not gone through the trials and tribulations yet. So they needed a recompense for the evil of tossing Joseph in the bondage. Likewise, in this world, scattered Israel with all the idols that they have brought through the millennium and brought to all the nations of the earth, have sold you and me, Joseph, into slavery, into bondage, and have crushed us, maimed us. That's the message that Isaiah is saying. So there's this layer, of course, of the literal that we read, and there's the hint of the scripture, and Isaiah gives all these hints through the first mention that we continue to go over. That's the hint. Joseph, Edom. Joseph, Edom. Jacob, Edom. Jacob, Edom. Now it's Joseph and rebellious Israel. Which totally makes sense because Isaiah 64 talked about the decision process, freedom, bondage. Now we're talking about the decision process, circumcised heart, uncircumcised heart, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of heaven. Are you going to be Israel? Are you not going to be Israel? Joseph already is. And now God's going to judge 
rebellious Israel in the last days on our behalf, Joseph. And he doesn't want judgment to crush them. He wants judgment so that they draw near and choose him. I wish it wasn't so. I wish we didn't have to go through this process in the human condition, but we do. And we all have the testimonies of what we've gone through to get us to the place where we cry out, Abba, Father. So likewise, these people, the rebellious house of Israel that are scattered throughout the nations, they have to go through the process in the last days. And it's going to be tough to watch. It's going to be tough to watch our family members and our friends go through this. That's what's going to happen. Verse 7, Isaiah 65, verse 7. Your iniquities, it's all that generational stuff. And the iniquities of your fathers together, says Yahuwah, which have burned incense upon the mountains. So now we got the hint of the scripture underneath. They are the ones that have created the governments of the kingdom of this world. See, it's not just blaming Satan for creating the kingdoms of the world. It's actually blaming scattered Israel. They're the ones that brought all this wickedness everywhere and came into agreement with the enemy to put things into their hearts, put things into their thoughts, and then create their thoughts into the earth and into the heavens. So now they've created the governmental structures, the mountains, and they burn incense upon them. Oh, look how wonderful our governments are that we have made, based in and rooted in idolatry. And blaspheme upon the hills. The hills is, it, it, it's, it's, I have this picture of, of the grass and the cattle and the sheep and, and, and all of the livestock that roam on the hills. It's like the fruit of the earth. It's the life of the earth. And they blaspheme God on that. What they're doing is they're destroying the earth through their thoughts and their imaginations. Therefore, will I measure their former work unto their heart? So leadership in scattered Israel over the millennial, over the centuries, has received, has given access to their anointed post to the prince of this world. Because going back to the covenants of promise, God chose Israel as its firstborn. He scatters them into the earth. Now Israel, in a corrupt fashion, gives its anointing, turns its anointing over to Satan. God's less concerned with the non-Israelites. Remember, we have to keep defining Israel, going all the way back to Abraham. Because they don't carry the anointing to govern the nations. 
But now that Israel is scattered into the nations and they have the anointing to govern them, they have turned it over to the prince of this world. So therefore, they need the judgment. For those of you in the military, for those of you who understand battles, the military is designed to destroy and to defeat the enemy. It is not designed to be peacekeepers and change the hearts and cultures of nations. The easy part is to go and destroy and defeat. The hard part is to change the hearts of mankind. James and John, Yeshua, can we call fire down from heaven now? Destroy, defeat the enemy. You do not know what spirit you are of because I really want to get to their hearts. In the last days, it's not about God trying to destroy and defeat the enemy. The enemy is defeated. That's the easy part. The hard part is what we're going through right now in Isaiah, and that's unveiling the hearts and trying to get people's hearts to turn to him, not turn their backs from him. That's what he's trying to do in us. That's why he's trying to do in the very last sheep that is refusing to turn to him. And we're going to have to watch this. Let's conclude Isaiah 65 verse 8. This is what I'm just sharing. Thus says Yahuwah, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. The enemy is easy to banish. He's already been banished. He's already been defeated. He really has. The real battle right now is in the hearts. It's in our hearts. It's in the hearts of those that are going through this journey process. It's finding those that will be repentant Israel and get them out of rebellious Israel. That's the hard part. getting them into a self-sustaining society of the kingdom of heaven, a self-sustaining society of Zion. It takes a long time to work through. We're so impatient. We've been impatient with ourselves. We're impatient with others around. We have more patience to work through because it's hard. But it'll do it. So we pray for patience, we pray for compassion. For we're those that are of the kingdom. We're outside of time. What has helped me with patience more is God show me everything all at once. Show me where this ends. Show me where it begins. Show me the whole picture to give me courage, to give me endurance to get through. 
Because at a moment in time, any moment in time is difficult. But when we pull back and of the kingdom, see everything all at once, it gives us hope. It increases faith. We need to see with the eyes of the father and of the bridegroom. Because the bridegroom is partnering with us to complete the bride. If we move too fast in our rejection of rebellious Israel, we're going to lose some of the grapes that really belong in Zion. Let me conclude with Luke chapter 7. You guys all know this, but I'm going to read through this. Um, We're not going to study this whole thing. I'm just going to read through it because I think this is. A great summary of, of the beginning of Isaiah 65 and where we're at today. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. One of the Pharisees desired that Yeshua would eat with him. And Yeshua went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman, the lost bride, the rebellious house. In the city, which was a sinner. We went through that a lot in 65. And when she knew that Yeshua sat at at, at dinner at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears. And did wipe them with the hairs of her head. And kissed his feet. And anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it. They spoke within himself and said. This man if he were a prophet would have known who and what manner. This is that touches him for she is a sinner. And Yeshua answered him, saying, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. He said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom was forgiven most. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said, Simon. See this woman, I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with tears. And wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
My head with oil did you not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The process that we go through that's so uncomfortable in the revealing of our hearts, the process that we are going to watch the world go through in the process of revealing the depths of corruption of their hearts is so that they understand and we understand that we and they have been forgiven much. If we did not go through the trials and tribulations, we would not love much. So we have to rip off the heart and uncover everything so that we would love him more. Satan never had that heart ripped off. If he knew the depths of his pride, maybe something would change. Maybe there would have been a different outcome. We are not going to go through that process that he went through where we're just going to be left to a corruption because he was destined for that. We're going to have our hearts unveiled in full. God, unveil everything of my corrupt heart. Because I know that the more you reflect and your light shines on the darkness of my heart, the more I apply the blood of Yeshua to it, the more I know I'm forgiven and therefore the more I love you back. And I weep at your feet and I put ointment on your feet. And we're going to have to watch the world go through this. The ripping and unveiling of their hearts. And it's a good thing. Because we'll get to the place to see them understand that they have been forgiven much so that they can love him much. A lover will always outwork a worker. He wants to get us to the place that we're lovers out of him, that everything that we do is out of love. And the way the heart gets there is to understand how much we're forgiven. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do not leave us in the corruptions, in the imaginations, in the thoughts of our hearts. But you show us our unrighteousness, not to beat us up, not to scold us, not to reject us, but to open up the river of forgiveness. So Heavenly Father, I ask that you would rend the heavens and pour out forgiveness to everyone here. May they receive your forgiveness for everything.
May they feel the overwhelming flow of your forgiveness, that you have forgiven them for everything, that they are protected under the shadow of Yeshua's wings. And when we collectively think about all the things that we've been forgiven, that all of that was put on the back of Yeshua. All of that was put through his hands and feet. All of that was put through the mocking and the chastisement that he took it all. Father, I also ask that you would increase our patience, our compassion, and our love for those that are going through this and will go through this. We thank you that we have spiritual eyes to watch the rebellious, to watch those that are turning their back on you. That you give us words to pray. That through our faithful thoughts and faithful imaginations. Bring the kingdom of heaven around them. And plant seeds of the word into their hearts. I ask for supernatural strength and endurance. For our family members and friends that are the rebellious house of Israel. We pray that you would bring them into a place that they would hear the word. So we know that your faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I ask that you would expand the footing of where we stand. For we know that the winds are coming and the storm is coming. But you have grounded us on the rock. So may we stand in a wide area, in a big land, that we will not be moved. We thank you that you have also given us the knowledge that you have the victory and that we have the victory over the enemy over the beast, over its mark, over its number, and over the kingdoms of this world. So we pray, let your kingdom come. Come, Yeshua, come. We also cry out to the heavens and the earth and know that your time from the release of bondage is near. And we ask that you would be witnesses for the children of light into the earth. That you would be aligned with us according to your assignments. That heaven and earth would sink in the release of Zion unto the earth. May heaven and earth be a reflection of the hearts of your remnant. May your remnant grow. 
and the earth and heaven start to shake as they break free from the bondage of corruption. And we loose once again angels of victory, shouting out victory, victory, victory to the King of Kings, to the Lord of hosts, the King of righteousness. God of all creation. And we declare that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Yahweh is God. We seal the word in in our hearts that you have given us this day by the blood of Yeshua and by his spirit. Amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church, You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.